0: Hour number two of Canucks Central, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. This hour is presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited. Your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. If you missed the opening hour of the show, we had Patrick Alveen talking about the Canucks getting the 15th overall selection in today's draft lottery. Also, Jack Rathbone joined us on his season So you'll hear from him if you go back and listen on the podcast. Check it out, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Subscribe, leave a review, and you'll never miss any of our exclusive interviews, our postgame shows during the course of the regular season, and playoffs if the Canucks ever get back there, and more via the podcast feed. So, 15th overall. It's an interesting spot. One that Patrick Alveen mentioned, there's a good tier there from four to 16. A lot of similarly talented players is essentially, I'm paraphrasing what he said with the media in the last hour. And the Canucks at 15, a lot of different options here. I think the biggest focus, though, for me, Sat, is Canucks just have to make a pick. In the mm-hmm. first round.
1: Yeah. They haven't made one in uh, since twenty nineteen.
0: Put Pod Colson, Since Pod Colson.
1: Yeah. Kinda of need first round picks. They matter.
0: And they've missed out on you know, Dylan Gunter was probably the guy they would have taken yep. at nine last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they made the trade for OEL and Garland. C'est la vie. The year before was the Miller deal that ended up going to New Jersey and they got Muka Madulin with that selection in the late teens of that draft. So, you know, you're giving up first round picks. They haven't made a full slate of selections in a lot of years. So it's time for this new management group to just make some selections and really start to build out the depth of this organization. Let's bring in our next guest, one of our favorites, covering the NHL draft for daily Faceoff. It is Chris Peters. Thanks for this, Chris. How are you? How are you?
2: I'm doing well, guys. Great to be with
0: you. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. Like coming straight out of the uh, the draft lottery, everybody's getting excited, and obviously Canucks fans are already wondering who they're going to take at 15th overall. And Patrick Alvine just mentioned something interesting uh, in his media availability. There's a kind of a tier of players from four to 16 that he thinks are are fairly similar. How do you view this year's draft?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think that's pretty fair. You know, I think there's a there's a decisive drop-off. You know, I think it starts closer to four or five, maybe six. I, you know, I think there's... My tiers would maybe be a little bit different where you've got, you know, your, your Shane Wright, your Logan Cooley, your Isle um, You know, and then really after that, I guess, you know, it does become a bit more murky. Um, and so that's kind of the fun thing about this draft. It's also the thing that... Probably gives a lot of these general managers a, a little bit of a heart attack because, you know, they, when guys are close together, you know, so some guys are going to jump up in their development, some guys are going to really take off, and, and it's your job to figure out who that's going to be. And, and I think years like this year have been challenging for a lot of teams, but they're certainly, I mean, to to be in the lottery this year is is, is especially helpful to, to have been in the, the top sixteen picks because, you know, after that it does start to just get thinner and thinner, but um, uh, it's an intriguing class. It, it, it really is. I think there's a lot of opportunities, especially in in that top fifteen there, where you know you're going to have uh, your your pick of the positions, and you know have a real opportunity to to land a guy that I think could be an impact prospect.
1: Well, and because oftentimes we hear, you know the the takes before a draft, how this draft is not that good, or this is the worst draft in this many years. And outside the first 10 picks, all you're looking at is middle six players and that sort of deal. But the reality is you're going to find superstars and franchise players most likely later in the draft. It always kind of happens. So when you look at this draft, to what you mentioned, is there a lot more projection than usual, especially in that range that as much as right now on the surface, you can't pinpoint a guy you think is going to be a star but there very well could be the right guy you pick at that 15 range who could end up being a star player for you.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think, I don't know if it's so much, you know, projecting out as it is. There's just, you know, you can really pick apart the games of a lot of these guys more than, you know, and and I think in some years past, I mean, you think about different years like the the 2019 draft, the Jack Hughes year, where there were just just a variety of high, high high-skill players. And, you know, there were a lot of guys you were, that you felt real comfortable with. I think this year you're, you're saying, okay, well, we've got guys that, that have great size, but they're really slow. We've got guys that have tremendous skill, but they're really small, you know, and, and some, there it's just kind of, there's not a lot of, you know, guys where you're just like, yep, that guy is absolutely going to make it. That guy is, he's, he is a lock. And, and that, I mean, that really even goes to the top of the draft. I mean, you could, you could pick Shane Wright and you might have the best player in the draft, but I mean, I think, you know, odds are telling us that the, the you pick the field instead. I mean, that's not very fair to Shane Wright because that's a large field that you'd be picking from. But, you know, I think that that's, that when you have a draft like this where you're like, wow, this guy has this flaw or that flaw, um, you know, what are the ones that really matter? And I think even the most experienced evaluators are still trying to figure that out. So, um, yeah, so I don't think it's necessarily projecting out so much as it is like having this concern or that concern. And for some staffs, that'll mean – a player is not on their board at all, and for others, that means that's a guy that they see they could get a lot of value out of. Um, so it just—it's really uh, that I think that's made this year particularly challenging.
0: Chris Peters, our guest, follow him on Twitter at Chris M Peters. Check out his work at Daily Faceoff and Hockey Sense and uh, the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. So this the middle of the draft, fifteen in the first round. Uh, what what kinds of players are you looking at there? And, you know, is that a, a spot in the draft or in the uh, in the first round that you expect more defensemen to be going? Or how does that middle of the first round look to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think there's certainly a, 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 capability or a possibility that you'd have, you know, a big a big, uh, you know, a good defenseman. One of the one of the best remaining defensemen. You know, after you get outside of uh, Simon Nemich and, and David Juracek, you know, there's you can kind of flip the order for. It depends on who you ask. On um, guys like Pavel Muncov and Kevin Korczynski and and Owen Pickering, but I still think you're also going to have a lot of those top end American forwards out of the national team development program, and certainly the the Canucks have had plenty of success with guys out of that program in their team for, for many years. And so, you know, guys like a Rutger McGrory, who's more of a power forward, who's, who's kind of big and rugged and would fit really well within the Pacific division against some of those top teams, you know, that's the guy that I I would expect would probably be right in that range. And, you know, he's, he's, he was a captain of the U S team at the under 18 world championship. You know, I think that's, that's the kind of guy, you know, he might be available in that range and you say, okay, well, he, he, doesn't have the best foot speed, but we really like his effort. We like the way he's got a great shot, you know, probably one of the better shots, um, especially a, a guy that can really shoot it off the pass. And, you know, he, he has a lot of real good tools and, and can get in and around the net. But then you look at some of the defensemen, I think Kevin Korchinski is the guy that you, you kind of hope would fall, um, because he's, Got a, a lot of upside. He's a, he's a kind of guy where that is a projection. You're, you're mm-hmm. looking at a guy that has this smoothness in his skating and is, he's got some shifty skill. He averaged nearly a point per game in the WHL this year with Seattle. And, you know, so that's a, you know, you're, most of the defensemen available at that point are left shot guys. You know, everybody would love to get a right shot, which I think is why Nemec and, and Yuracek are so high on so many lists. But, you know, I, I think that with, with what you have there, you know those those types of defensemen like Kevin Korchinski would be interesting. Now, what's going to be really interesting in that range is where do the Russians go? Mm-hmm. And you know, let's say Danila Yurov is still on the table there um as as probably the top Russian prospect this year. Got a bit of a power forward even though he's not he's not a big guy, but he's he plays the game with power and strength. He's got some really good skill, great patience, a shot. You know, he can kind of do a little bit of everything for you. Um, has a little bit more of offensive flair than, you know, than Pod Colson did at the same time, but still has some of that ruggedness to his his game and and doesn't shy away from the physicality, you know, is that an opportunity there where there's value in potentially him slipping further than he would have in a normal draft year? I mean, that guy came into the year for me as one of the top five picks in this draft um, and has slipped a bit just because of the way he was utilized in the KHL this year. Um, you know, you look at his numbers, and he didn't really have any points in the KHL. That's because he basically played a shift a game, and it's mm-hmm. absolutely anti-development for him. So that that impacts his value, but the upside remains. And then obviously, you have all the other questions about taking a Russian player
1: in the current climate.
2: So that's a, that's those are the kinds of questions you got to ask yourself in that range and say, hey, where's the best value that we can get? And you know, I think that's a, a collection of players that you know very well could be there, could be gone, uh, might not go until. Much later, we just don't know how the NHL teams are going to allow this draft to shake out yet.
1: Well, you mentioned Kevin Korchinski, and, and the thing about him too that's super exciting is the fact he has a later birthday. He doesn't turn eighteen until June, and those guys really entice me when I look at projecting guys long term. And you know, especially if they've had good seasons. Another guy who's similar to that is Denton Matichuk, the uh, Moose Jaw defenseman, five eleven, but he also has a late birthday. He turns eighteen in July. What do you think of him as a-, a type of prospect who? Might get overlooked because of size and certain deficiencies, but obviously has a lot of talent and is still very young.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm real high on both guys. You know, I I, I think just because I, with Mataychuk the 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 vision and the decision making, the poise with the puck, the patience. Um, you know, I think both of those guys, Korchinski and, and Matechuk are guys that that you can absolutely look at and say, okay, they play the game. The way it's going, you know, they play the game with that 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 rush style where they can help us in transition. They can get pucks up ice, they can get pucks out of our zone. Um, you know, neither you say, you know, I I think neither you'd be writing home about their 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 defensive games, but by no means do I have huge concerns, particularly about uh, Matejcek as well. I mean, he doesn't have the size, but he's got that competitive streak, and he can he can you know get under guys and he can make plays and and be a little bit tougher and, and a little grittier as well. Um, I think that, you know, for Korchinski, some of the complaints have been, you know, just some of his consistency game to game in terms of competitiveness, his ability to, you know, handle the rough stuff. And, you know, being at a, at, as a, at a close to six foot two, you know, trying to use that, that frame of his a little bit better, um, he definitely needs to get a lot stronger in order to maximize that. Whereas I think, you know, Mateuszczyk is a guy that played on the U18 Canadian team last year um, as an underager and really – popped um I think you know just in terms of not in a limited role you just noticed what he was doing I thought he was probably for me he was probably one of the best players in the top prospects game that's just a single game evaluation but when you see him with all the top players and you see the way that he can take over a shift or take over a game that's really intriguing so I'm really excited about about both those guys and I, I think it should be a really strong year for the WHL and the NHL draft this year
0: when, when projecting out defensemen, um, are there certain traits you, you need to see, um, especially to, to evolve into today's game right now, Chris? Uh,
2: yeah, the biggest thing for me right now is, is how they process the game, how quickly they process the game, how, how quickly they analyze. Um, and, you know, I think that that manifests itself in so many different ways. Can they extend plays? Can they escape pressure? Can they, can they find the right path under pressure? Can they get involved in the offensive zone? I mean, you know, I think that at at this stage, the the era of the defensive defenseman, where you know it's just a stay-at-home guy, it just doesn't exist anymore. It certainly doesn't exist as a high pick in the NHL draft. So you have to be able to have that offensive flair. Um, You want your defenseman to be able to activate and, and be involved in the offensive zone. But it all comes back to that hockey sense element. How do you how do you process the game? How do you look at the situations in front of you? and and break it all down. And, you know, I think, you know, some of the guys in this draft, like Nemec and, and Juracek, are exceptional in that regard. Um, and the other guys are, are pretty good. Um, but, yeah, so I think that that's kind of the the best thing that you can do as a defenseman. I, and I also think skating ability is more important than it's ever been for defensemen. Um, just the, the ability to – you don't have to be necessarily north-south fast, but you have to have really good mobility and agility – um to be a defenseman in the NHL today. So, um that's another thing, but, but it all comes back to that that processing speed and the and the hockey sense. That's always going to be the key thing for me when I look at a defenseman.
1: Well, and you know, just staying on that speed aspect, but on forwards, for instance, especially down the middle. I mean I mean one player who I find really interesting when I talk to some people about it. some people really like Connor Geeky because of all the tools the ability and others are kind of worried about his ultimate um, ability to be an impact player because he doesn't have a lot of pace in his game he's not fast enough when we start looking at certain guys and Connor geeky specifically does he have enough pace and how hard will it be for him in today's league if he doesn't have the pace to be an impact player yeah you know
2: it, he's a tough one. He's a guy that, that has challenged me throughout the season because I think I love everything else about his game. Yeah. I think there's so much to like about his game, his hockey sense, everything, you know, and, and, and he, he can think the game fast. That's a good thing. He can think the game fast, but his feet are very heavy in terms of, you know, just getting, getting pucks up. I said, it's like, how, you know, how do you have a guy in your top six or in your, you know, even your middle six at this point that can, can be, you know, that guy that, that you can put out against top teams and, and he's not going to get beat. You know, I, I just don't know. Um, the thing about him that always I come back to, however, is in the games that I watch him, the puck finds him. He's always around it. You know, it's he, he has a lot of possession time himself. He has a lot of puck pursuits. He's got a lot of, you know, different things that he, it, it just always seems to get there. So, you know, one guy, I, you, you always try to learn from your mistakes. And there was a, the guy that I thought may never make the NHL <laughs> and, and be a, or at least not as a top six forward was Jason Robertson mm-hmm. um, as, as his skating was so exposed at the world juniors. Um, and I just, I just don't know if, you know, and this was, this was back in Vancouver. I just remember watching him and, and from up top of it, it's like, how is he going to, you know, I, he dominates the OHL. He scores a ton. How's he going to do at the NHL level? Well, he scored 40 goals this year. So I guess he figured it out, you know, so you do. And, and that again, comes back to his superior hockey sense. He's an offensive genius. And he also has the physical tools to execute the plays that he thinks in his, you know, can, can find. And so, and his skating has improved over the years as well. So it is something that's fixable. That's the other thing. I think it's more, more than ever before. We we know there are coaches out there that can correct things. They, they aren't going to make a huge, you know, two stride difference or anything like that. He's going to, but, but they can really help get things figured out in terms of, you know, maximizing mobility and things like that. So that is something that becomes less of a concern now. And, And he's a guy very well could be in that 15 range where he is. You start thinking, Hey, this is a big guy, great hockey sense. He can really help us out. And it's, you know, it's the same thing with Rucker McGroity. If you're picking between those two guys, you know, right now I have McGorty slightly ahead, but it's not, it's not very much. So, um, so he could absolutely be in the mix there and, and would be intriguing uh, if he's still available at 15.
0: Well, it's, it's, you know, when you talk about the skating thing, I, I, I think Bo Horvat, because that was one of the knocks on, on him when he got drafted here to Vancouver. and And we've seen him overcome a lot of that. And he's really worked on his, on his skating to get it to a point where, you know, he's, you know he could still get to his spots when he needs to. How how hard can it be to project that? Like what a a ceiling is for a player's ability to improve their skating.
2: Yeah, you know I think part of it you try to look at the the overall body of work, the year to year progression. Right. And, you know you also have to look at different things in terms of how you know weight gain and you know muscle mass and all all these different things that you're trying to figure out. Um, and sometimes that will be something that, you know, a, a strength and conditioning coach or a nutritionist or whatever, you know, simple changes here or there can make a big difference. So, um, so it is something that you, if you can live with it and you say, well, Hey, we think, and a lot of, a lot of teams will engage a, a skating coach. If they have a skating coach on staff, they will send them video clips. They'll say, what can you tell us about this player's stride? Is it something we can work with? And and more often than not, they're going to say that they can't because they have confidence in that ability and they have the experience and they've gotten a lot better at it. So, you know, I think that teams engage so many different people beyond their scouts that to, to, to evaluate a player that it's, there really are no secrets. And so, yes, it's difficult to project, but if you have people in, in positions that you trust about to develop that player, then you can – take some of those swings a little bit more confidently thinking that, you know, you have the right people in place to, to get that player where they need to go
0: at Chris M Peters is where you can find him on Twitter. And again, check out his work at uh, hockey sense and of course, daily face off Chris, I'm sure we'll be uh, talking more before the draft. Thanks for this today.
2: Yeah. I can't wait guys. Thanks a lot. Great. Great to be with you.
0: Yeah. Great to have you on Uh, one of our favorites here on, uh, Canuck Central joining us uh, to get a bit of a preview there on the first round and what you should be looking for in prospects as well and some mm-hmm. of the red flags that are hard to overcome and hockey sense is a big one man and I think it's it's being more and more focused on lately because of the increased speed yeah. of the game it just matters so much more in today's game that you're able to make those really snap decisions on the
1: ice well and in some cases it's almost more important than just having pure pace because you know your initial reaction is hey the league is faster we need to get faster well just being fast doesn't mean you can play fast just being fast doesn't mean you can play well and make decisions quickly to take advantage of the speed that you have so all those things come into play and sometimes it's better to have a player who's maybe an average skater but as a very quick processor and decision-making because he's going to be a better player. He's going to produce more, and he's going to be more effective for you despite the fact not having that pace. But, you know, it's very clear Vancouver doesn't have a lot of speed, and they need to add that. So it'll be interesting to see how big of a focus that is also in their draft. Like, are they going to be somewhat reluctant to take an average skater? And that's what I wonder with Connor Geeky. I think it's easy to point to him and a local guy, you know, a WHL guy, for instance, and has some size, can play center and all those sort of things. But are they going to be a bit concerned about his overall lack of pace? As smart as he is, can you have a center who's slow in today's NHL? Yeah, that's... On the wing, maybe, but can you
0: on down the middle? Down the middle, you have to be a really smart player to get away with it. And you're really going to have to improve your skating to some level to be able to get away with it, too. Stan Richo, Satyar Shah. This is Canuck Central. Canuck Central, Dan Riccio, and Satyar Shah. This hour is presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Uh, We're going to talk to George Richards in a second. A couple of things from the playoffs uh, over the last couple of days, Sat. Uh, one, Sidney Crosby is still the guy I'd take to win one game. Yes. Which is crazy, given that he's going to be 35 this summer.
1: Yeah. But uh, still, in a playoff series, he's the guy.
0: He is so dominant. Like Watching him against the Rangers last night, it was like, Rangers didn't stand a chance on the ice. Didn't matter who they put out against him, didn't stand a chance.
1: The only forward who recently has been more dominant than him is Nathan McKinnon. Or like has yeah. been as dominant as him as times like that's pretty much it. I mean, you and I were talking about this off air. I don't think I don't think enough people know how prolific Nathan McKinnon is once he gets into the postseason.
0: His uh, I think he's got thirty three goals in like fifty some odd games now. Yes, that's like a fifty goal pace Isn't over much- an eighty two game regular season. Yeah,
1: he has thirty three goals and seventy five points in fifty four play- career playoff games. I'd say that's pretty good. I'd say that's pretty good. He's uh,
0: one of the best goals per game averages. Uh, So, McKinnon, can he get it done this year? Uh, Well, Colorado first team off to the second round. A team that uh, saved themselves last night, potentially, from being on the brink of elimination. Absolutely, they did that. The Florida Panthers. And joining us now to talk about that series is George Richards. Thanks for this, George. How are you?
3: I'm good. What's going on?
0: Oh, you know, we're... uh, you know, us in Western Canada, we're just enjoying watching the Leafs lose, so. <laughs>
3: yeah, I hear
0: you. <laughs> That's usually how it goes up in these parts. But uh, it, it was, it's was it been a fascinating series with the Washington Capitals, and one that it, it felt like Florida just needed a break to maybe start to get going, and that potentially happened last night.
3: Yeah, I think you're right on that. Uh, I think, you know, the way they played last night, I mean, they – you know, they controlled a lot of the flow of the game and, and they did a lot of good things, but they still found themselves down two one late and they kept grinding and kept going and just kept moving forward. Uh found a way, you know, they got the Sam Reinhart goal with, you know, two minutes and change left, and then they went in overtime, Carter Verhage. Um, and I think, you know, beyond the obvious of of tying the series instead of coming home down three one. Um, they might have found themselves, right? I mean, it's funny to say with the team that had the success that they had in the regular season, but I think they've realized that it's a different world in the postseason, and, uh, you know, last night might have been a big step forward for them.
1: Well, and, you know, just overall with that team too, I mean, the head coach, Andrew Brunette behind the bench, I mean, he came in because of everything that happened to Joel Quenville. And how much of an adjustment do you think he's kind of gone through, you know, being, I mean, first time he's a head coach this season, but in heading into the postseason, seeing the way Laviolette was doing a great job in, in, you know, making life difficult for Florida to get anything going in transition, for instance, from a coaching perspective, you know, how much of an adjustment are you seeing from, from Brunette behind the bench?
3: Yeah, I mean, there has to be adjustments, right? In-game adjustments, that was the one thing that I think that, you know, not the one thing, but, but one of the big selling points for Joel Quinville was, you know, some of the, you know, stuff that he did in the playoffs with, you know, his line adjustments and, and such um, back in the Chicago years, you know, that everybody had that kind of confidence in him. And, yes, this is all brand new uh, for Andrew Burnett, Um listen, I mean, you know, Pierre Laviolette won the Cup with Carolina. He's been to the finals a number of times, um, and he's got a veteran-laden team, a team where the guts of that team won the Cup a few years ago. So, um, you know, Washington knows what it takes. Uh, and and they they really did confound the Panthers uh, for much of the first three games, and and even you know last night in Game Four, they they were still hounding the Panthers. The Panthers had a lot of great chances, but but couldn't score. And um, yeah, again, a, a big step forward for Andrew Brunette as well as his team.
0: You know, it was such an incredible year for uh, Jonathan Huberdeau and obviously Sasha Barkov. They've been such big stars. Uh, three points in in the four games of the series so far for them, but you'd expect them to be leading the team, right. And, and really setting the course forward. Do the Panthers need more out of their top guys?
3: Uh, yeah, that scoring wise. Sure. I mean, you you look at those guys and those guys have carried it so long, but, but the one thing that is helped the Panthers along this year is their depth. I mean, you've got Sam Reinhardt on the third line. You've got, you know, Patrick Hornquist on the fourth. I mean, they've got so much depth forward wise, um, that you know that they can have guys just kind of d- d- do things and, and carry the load a little bit more. And but, but there's no doubt that that Florida needs Sasha Barkov to get going offensively. He won two big faceoffs though for them last night that, that led to the goal. So he's doing other things. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau is doing other things. There was a breakaway in, in the third period that, that could have given them a three-one lead, and Huberdeau chases it down. Um, And and picks the, the puck away So he's doing other things But the Panthers certainly could use Some more offense out of those guys
1: well, and as far as the net minder is concerned, Sergei Bobrovsky, obviously his first year, didn't go great, but in, in a couple of starts against Washington and the losses, maybe not quite as good, but how important was it for him to kind of have the start he had, had a couple of those big saves late too. Uh, how do you think the team feels about him in net? And was it important for him to have a cleaner performance like he did yesterday?
3: Well, I think Sergei Bobrovsky has been absolutely fantastic this series. I mean, even in the losses, uh, you know he he was he has not been the Panthers' problem. He's been good enough to win all the games, um, even the one you know the, the the five one game whatever it was on Saturday. Um, Florida just was you know the Walking Dead and you know in that game in Game Three. Um, but it, yeah, I think that you know Sergey Bobrovsky. You saw him last night in the third period make a huge save uh, to keep it at two to one. Uh, and then they pull him right afterwards, and they're able to get the to get the game-tying goal. But, uh, yeah, Bobrovsky's been really good. I mean, he's looked confident. He's played clean. He hasn't been fooled too many times, uh, you know, a few times here and there. But, uh, you know, he's, he's been very solid for the Panthers. And uh, right now, you know, through four games, it's a 2-2 series. But Sergey Bobrovsky right now is the MVP of the series for the Panthers because he's kept them in it.
0: You know, uh, one of the, the great stories of the NHL that maybe um, has gone overlooked, I think, a little bit given the injuries he's had, Aaron Ekblad, and just how much and how good he's become. Uh, we, we talk and, hey, Cale McCarr's great, Roman Yossi's great. I think if Ekblad played the whole year, he'd probably be in that Norris conversation as well, especially the way he was playing. Uh, how, how big has it been for him to, to come back in this series?
3: Yeah, I think he was definitely in that Norris conversation. Had he played, he would have been one of the three finalists. I don't know, you know, where he would fall in that. But I think he was such a favorite for it last year before he got hurt. Yeah. That, you know, you know how the voting goes in the Norris. Whoever's due kind of gets the vote. <laughs> so who knows? Um, but, yeah, he's been terrific. I, I think, you know, he's such a heart and soul guy on this team. Um, to see him. It was, you know, it, it was very uplifting for this team when they realized that that the injuries he sustained in in Anaheim wasn't serious. Um, it looked extremely serious when it happened, and, and like Jonathan Huberto said at the time, he's like the first thing you're thinking of is, oh no, what just happened? And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it just happened again. I mean, it looked it was like a year later, same kind of look. Um, and then they go in at the first intermission and there he is and everything looks like it's okay. Um, so that was just a relief to the team because, you know, he is such a big piece of this team and and he's such a, such a hardworking guy. He, you know, last year, if the Panthers would have made it to the, you know, to the fine, to the conference finals, wherever we called them last year, um, he would have he would have probably played. So, um, you know, he worked extremely hard to get back last year. He worked extremely hard to get back this year. Um, And, yeah, I mean, the uh, the Panthers rely a lot on him.
1: Well, I wanted to get your thoughts on Gustav Forsling a little bit here, too, because, I mean, we know he had a good season, former Vancouver Canucks draft pick as well, and, and all that sort of stuff. But does he get enough credit for how good he is defensively and how quietly he's had a real strong presence in this series?
3: Absolutely, he does not get enough credit, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gus Forsling is is as is, is solid a defenseman as, as the Panthers have. I mean, um that was one of the things that, you know, Mackenzie Weger, who everybody knows now was really struggling in this playoff series. And um, he played so well with Gus Forsling last year. And even this year when Aaron Eckled was out, when the Panthers put those two back together, you know, here, lo and behold, Mackenzie Weger has his best game of the series last night because he's you know, playing with Gus Forsling. Uh, Forsling is just, he never makes mistakes. He's always in position. Um, he does a great job, uh, you know, clearing pucks, uh, getting the pucks. He's a he's a very strong guy, very smart guy, and this is a guy that that Florida picked up off the waiver wire last year in training camp, and and he became like a real standout player almost immediately. So the Panthers have been extremely pleased with what they've gotten out of him. They signed him to a three year extension over the summer. Um, so yeah, I mean, Gus Forsling is the unheralded guy for the Florida Panthers. There's no doubt about that.
0: How is, uh, Claude Giroux fit in with this roster?
3: He's fit in very well. I mean, you know, you look at his numbers, uh, he's got a lot of assists. He's become a face-off maven for the Panthers. Uh, one of the top face-off guys in the league statistically. Um, and, and that's taken some of the heat off of, you know, uh, of, 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 of Sasha Barkov. Um you had Florida you know putting Nola chari in situations to take face offs that they really didn't want to do um you know this season, so bringing in uh, Claude Giroux really helped um listen he he's he's terrific right i mean he's a he's a terrific puck handler he's he's big on his hard to get off the puck um kind of you know bark off wise in that way so they played really well together uh because florida loves playing that possession game and that was something that they've struggled against against washington with but um yeah i think i think claude giroux has been a great a great addition to the panthers Uh, probably a rental so maybe you gave up a little too much but um, if they can keep going and have some success with them i don't think they really care that much
1: uh, before I let you go, I did want to ask you a bit about uh, the way Ovechkin's looked in this series. I mean, he has five points, but for the most part, I mean, you'd feel pretty good about everything if you'd, you'd say he only has one goal in four games. And I know that's saying quite a bit for the guy who has five points in four games, but as good as he's been, uh, it seems like the Panthers have done a pretty good job of keeping him in check for the most part.
3: Well, you got to give a lot of credit to to, to Aaron Eckblad for that. Um, Aaron Eckblad's been the guy that's uh, made sure— that he's covered on the power play. Um, The one goal that Ovechkin has is, you know, was in game three, was on the power play where Florida kind of got caught, um, you know, kind of shorthanded there. It was a long pass and he was wide open. It was just a broken play. Yeah, they've really bottled up Ovechkin, but he does, you know, he still has a big role on that team. Two of his shots have been deflected, one by T.J. Oshie, and so you know, he's got those five points, like you said. Um, yeah, Alex Ovechkin can bring it at any time. You know that he's one of the best shots in the game and, you know, the Panthers are just waiting for him to to really, you know, explode here. But so far they've been able to keep him in check.
0: Hey, George, uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for this.
3: All right. You got it. We'll see you.
0: Uh, there is George Richards, Florida dot com, joining us here on Canucks central. It's a, It is a fascinating series. And Ovi, you know, Ovi is still putting up crazy numbers in the regular season, and he's always scored in the playoffs. Yes. And hey, you know, they did, you know, he hasn't been terrible in this series, but this is a tougher series for him. Like, this is a really fast Panthers team, and Washington is forced into playing an ultra defensive style to get the game more on terms that will allow them to win. Mm-hmm. Right. And that doesn't mean playing an all out offensive style. He's got five points in the four games, just the one goal that came in the blowout game three. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how OV can he take over a series still the way that, Sidney Crosby has with the Pittsburgh Penguins.
1: Well, that's kind of what I was waiting. Yeah, you know, you know, I was kind of wondering and kind of setting it all up because they're not going to win this series unless Vetchkin has a signature game or two. You're not going to win this series unless Ovechkin at some point just yeah. goes off. And is he capable of doing that or not? I mean, he's capable of it. We just haven't seen him in this series with the matchup. And to your point with how fast Florida is getting loose, because as good as Well, Washington he's going to have to score a five-on-five. Like,
0: well, you can't it's gonna do gonna everything on the
1: power play. It's going to have to happen. And that's my question with Ovechkin and the Capitals. I mean, as good as they've done in this series, that was a tough one not to win in overtime against Florida, to really yeah. put them on the ropes. Because now you need a monumental Ovechkin performance somewhere.
0: Yeah. Now you need a big one. Uh, losing that one last night, it felt like a backbreaker for the Washington Capitals. Like how to not pull off the upset, give up that late lead is uh, certainly one way that it could happen. You know, talked about Aaron Ekblad there. Um, Don't think he gets enough credit for how well he's played defensively over the last couple of seasons. I know we haven't seen a ton of him because he's been hurt so often. Really like freakish injuries, but Ekblad, has developed into a player worthy of the number one overall pick, where a few years ago you may not have said that, mm-hmm. Sat, with Ekblad, but he's, he certainly has been that guy. As much as Ekblad looks great and Hedman can still dominate a game, every time I'm watching Kale McCarr, I say there is no other player, there is no other defenseman in the league I would rather have than this guy.
1: Well, he is by
0: far the most dynamic defenseman in the league. The stuff, and and look, Nashville was outclassed in that series. Not even close. Right? And a lot of teams will look like that against Colorado. But the way that Kale McCarr can just essentially do whatever he wants in the offensive zone, it's just unlike anything we've we've seen. And he set a record for 10 points in four games. No defenseman in NHL history has ever done that. Ten points in their first four playoff games of a series. Yeah. I mean, just absolute madness the way that he dominated that series against the Nashville Predators.
1: Yeah, and I mean, goaltending was a bit of, a bit of an issue. No sorrows. Right? I mean, Connor Ingram's in goal, and he looked really out of sorts. I mean, Ingram almost night, stole them one game. One right? game, yeah. But I mean, yeah. still, I mean, he had one game, he almost stole them. And, and then he gave away the other. Right. And, right, so not, not great goaltending overall, but the, the the biggest thing for me when I'm looking at Kyle McCar and what he's able to do is his change of pace. For a guy who's as fast as he is, his greatest ability is going from 0 to 100 and as quickly as he does it. I mean, on, on the assist to Nathan McKinnon, for him to be able to beat that check, have the balance to get through, and then explode one more time in like two seconds, or sorry, in half a second to be able to get down and get that puck over the way he did. Those are types of things players are not humanly possible. I mean, there is no player who, who has been built the way Kael McCarr has been built physically to be an offensive force as yeah. a defenseman.
0: It's um, It's thrilling to watch the way he can make a move drive down his off wing down the left half wall and go to the net. The passes he makes, the vision he has, absolutely crazy what Kale McCarr has been able to do over a point a game in his playoff career so far. He's already played like close to 40 playoff games, which is kind of crazy. And then there's Nathan McKinnon, who, as we talked about earlier, is also a playoff star that because they haven't had the ultimate success, I don't think we talk about it enough, but he's well over a point a game, almost a point a half per game in postseason play. Yeah. One quick thing I wanted to get to, the Vesna nominees, Saros, Markstrom, and Shesterkin. Now, those were the top three. You could make the case for Thatcher Demko, maybe Freddie Anderson some people would have had on their ballot given the season he had in Carolina. Ilya Sorokin, especially the way he finished the year on Long Island. There was a lot of goalies that could have been on the list, but the interesting one is Markstrom. Calgary was a lot better defensively this year. Markstrom ended up with a ton of shutouts, but how much of, like, shutouts are as much a goalie stat as they are a team stat because very seldom do shutouts happen where a goalie is making... 47 saves and just absolutely standing on his head.
1: Bad teams don't shut out their opponent very often.
0: Nope.
1: It just doesn't happen. So
0: I'm not saying Markstrom had a bad year. I'm just saying you know, some some of the uh, traditional goalie stats don't translate actually that well to determining who the best goalie is in the league. No, I mean. like, and Roberto Luongo found that out. Yeah, in, I mean, in in those years he should have won the Vesna, and it always went to Brodeur because he had the most wins in the league.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not about wins more than anything else, and you know, and I think for Markstrom because he had the 37 wins that does matter as far as the voting and stuff goes. But he was really good this year. I mean, even by some of the you know the the metrics, he wasn't quite as good as Demko was, but he still had a really good season. And I don't I don't have an issue with any of the nominees, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't have a problem with them. Mr. Sturkin should have been. Saros, absolutely. Markstrom, good enough season to be in that discussion. And when your team doesn't make the playoffs... Canucks needed more votes for Demko to be a finalist. Your team needed to be... You need to do better. It's hard for a goalie to win the Vesna or be nominated for the Vesna when he's on a losing team. Yeah. And when the numbers are not eye-popping, if you have to dig a bit deeper. So it's not a slight at Demko... It's just p- part of what you mentioned, the team overall not good enough. And when you're not making the postseason and your traditional numbers aren't as eye-popping as other guys, you're just not going to get the votes. Like, that's why I didn't expect Demko to be a finalist. Yeah.
0: Demko's still on a better contract than Jacob Markstrom.
1: I don't think it's a question, and he's younger. Yeah, Demko's no goalie has a better contract than Thatcher Demko does. It's uh, one of the best
0: things going for the Vancouver Canucks right now. This is Canuck Central.